and uh, with you. The title of my message uh, is Everyday Jesus. Everyday Jesus. And I, it's important uh, that we understand this because, you know, I understand that we are, you know, at Easter time, I know that we're more aware of the Easter story. We're more aware of resurrection. And yet, that should be constantly on our mind. Why? Because we need to be, the Bible says we need to be renewed every day. Another way we could say that is we need to be reminded every day. We need to be refreshed every day. And, and really, it's, and so this way, it's actually, I'm going to preach this week and next week. This week, it's really about everyday Jesus for you. And so really, it's choosing Jesus every day. So every day, I choose Jesus. If you want to summarize it, that would be kind of, a, but really, every day it's Jesus. Every day it's Jesus. And so last week I shared with you about uh, living by resurrection power, really the hope of resurrection. Uh, you know, and I think it's important and I think it's a powerful truth for us as believers, all of us, to be reminded about that. And so it's not something that we should just celebrate on Easter. It's not something that we should only celebrate even on Sundays. Is that Christianity is actually meant to be lived seven days a week, 12 months out of the year, 365 days, and on those special years, 366 days, right? We are in, like, that is God's intention. That's his desire is that we would actually walk with him. And, and so it's really learning to live by the power of God, not in our own strength, not in our own ability, but really learning how to do that. And it's a process. It, it is a process to learn how to do that. And so, but what's easy is for us to settle for just, Merely normal Christianity. Because a lot of people are saved. They love Jesus. They're going to heaven. But they don't actually understand about living by the power of God. Like living by a strength and an ability that's beyond us. And it's possible. It's, it's the life that Jesus actually wanted for us. when he. That's what he was thinking of during that resurrection time. During, when he was laying down his life. He didn't die just so that we could go to heaven. He died so that we could live and experience something different on the earth. And so I want to share some scriptures and some thoughts with you this morning along this line. And so the first scripture comes out of Colossians chapter 1, uh, verses 9 through 11. They'll be up on the screen for you if you don't have your Bible or if if I talk too fast, you can just jot down the scriptures and they'll be up there for you. And uh, I get a little excited sometimes, so I don't apologize for it. And, uh, but, so it picks up here in verse 9 and it says, this is the Apostle Paul. He's praying for Christians, which I think is always important to remember when you're reading the New Testament, especially the writings of Paul. He's writing to Christians, not lost people. So when he's writing to them, he's writing to us. And uh, so he says, we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. He says, we ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. So there's some qualifiers there. He's asking for God to give them spiritual wisdom, not natural wisdom, not natural understanding, spiritual. So in other words, a different way of thinking. We're going to have to think differently if we're going to live by resurrection power. And, And so it goes on. It says, but when we begin to think differently, then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce. That's important. Why? Because your life, God intended for your life to produce some fruit. That's why, you know, a few minutes ago I said you about, man, we believe in making a difference. What is it? That's producing some fruit for the kingdom of God. And God's desire is that our lives would produce Every kind of good fruit, good fruit. God, 
God's desire is that we would produce good fruit all the while. So, you know that thought of like, when I get all my stuff together, God's going to use me? This scripture completely blows that thought out of the water. Because he says, your lives will produce every kind of good fruit, and all the while, so while you're producing some fruit, you will grow. So you don't have to wait until you got all your stuff together for God to start to use you. He says, God's going to make you start bearing fruit, and as you grow, you're going to continue to bear more fruit. So all the while, as you grow and as you learn, how do you grow? You learn, right? You, you, you grow in understanding by learning. You're like, oh, I didn't think I was in school. This ain't school. This is life, like real life. So those lessons you learned in school, you're like, this doesn't apply to my life. Why did I learn algebra two? Right? Why did I need chemistry? I'm not a chemist. I didn't need to. You need this. Why? Because this is your life in practical terms. So he says, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. That's how you learn. You begin to what? Grow in your understanding. Grow in your experience and, and, and practically with the Lord. The Amplified Bible adds, adds a, a one word that I really liked. It says that we would bear fruit in every good work and steadily, steadily growing in the knowledge of God. Progressively. Man, it's a process that's happening all the time. So he goes on. He says, we also pray that you will be strengthened with his glorious power. Whose power? Christ. That's that resurrection life, that resurrection power that we are meant to live in. And he says that you would be strengthened. So I've got good news. If you're tired or, or a little afraid this morning, there's some strength in Christ for you. Paul's praying this, and he says that he would pray that you would be strengthened by his glorious power so that you will have endurance and patience. We don't like endurance and patience, but I can tell you this. If you don't have the, that, that life that Jesus came to give us, it's going to be hard to have endurance and patience. It's going to be hard. Why? Because you're trying to do it in your own strength. And we were never called to live a Christian life in our own strength. Never. That's not even, you know, and many times we can fall into that rut. John chapter 15, verse 1 through 5 out of the Passion Translation says this. It says, I, I am a true sprouting vine. It says, and the farmer who tends the vine is my father. Now, here's another key word. He cares. He cares for the branches. Well, who are the branches? Us. God cares for you. God cares for me. It says that he watches over it and he cares for the branches connected to me. Now, again, you may be here today and you're a little worn down. You may be a little afraid. You may have some things going on. You may be a little flagging in your faith a little bit. And yet it says that God cares for you. And how does he care for you? By lifting and propping up the fruitless branches. God isn't mad that fruit isn't happening in our life. But he does want us to bear fruit. And so what he's going to do is to come alongside of us and support us even in those times where we may not be bearing the fruit that we need to. He's not mad. He's helpful. And that's important. We have to know that. So it says, for those that aren't producing fruit, he lifts them and he, he props up the fruitless branches. And it says, and he prunes every fruitful branch. Have you ever been like me and it's like, Holy Spirit, leave me alone. Quit talking to me about that. Do I have some friends in the room? It's like, just leave me alone. 
And he's like, I'll leave you alone if you want to stop bearing fruit. But if you want to bear more fruit, I got to prune you. What is, what is a pruning back? I mean, I'm not a green thumb person. I do know a little bit. You actually trim it back. So what? So the life goes where you want it. Because what happens when a tree has too many branches, it's trying to pull up all the nourishment it can to feed every one of those branches. And so you go in and you prune up some of those branches. Why? So that you make sure that the life of that tree, the sap that's feeding that tree, is going where you want. And sometimes there are areas in our life, not even necessarily bad things, but they're just things that God says, that area of your life is really robbing you of the life why am I so worn out? You might need to listen to the Holy Spirit and say, okay, I'm going to lay that part of my life down. It's not a bad thing, but it's, just, it's hindering me from getting where God wants me to go. Now, there may be some parts of our life that aren't godly, and they're not really what it is. And we just want to be stubborn and hold on to those things. And we wonder, though, man, why don't I just feel that? Why am I not passionate about the Lord that I used to? Because it's getting choked out by other cares, other concerns, other worries, all those things. I love this, though, where he says this. He says that, that the Lord prunes every fruitful branch to yield a greater harvest. He doesn't prune us to be mean. He prunes us so that we can have a greater harvest. Jesus goes on. He says, the words that I've spoken over you have already cleansed you. So you must remain. Must. It's not optional. If you want to experience this life that we're talking about, this resurrection life, you must remain in this life union with me, for I remain in life union with you. For as a branch severed from the vine will not bear fruit, so your life uh, will, be use, will be unless you uh, live life intimately joined to me. He goes on, he says, I am the sprouting vine, I am the source of life. He says, you are my branches, and as you live in union with me as your source. See, we can run to a lot of counterfeit gods looking for fulfillment, looking for life, looking to things that will make us happy. Stuff will not make you happy. It will for a moment, but it will be fleeting. It will be here, and then you, now you just got more stuff. That's not where we find real Why? Because true life does not come from stuff. It doesn't come from things. Now, we're sold things all the, from the moment we wake up to the time that we close our eyes. We are being sold. We are being advertised to constantly. And all of those things are what? Distracting us from the real source of life. And Jesus says that if you live in union, connection with me as your source, says fruitfulness will stream from within you. When we stay connected to Jesus, we don't have to try to be fruitful. It will just come out of us. It will just, man, fruit will abound. It goes on, and Jesus finishes up his thought, and he says, when we, are, when we live separated from him, from, from him, you are powerless. Powerless to do what? To live the life God has for you to live. You can't do it apart from him. It's this vital connection. You know, I, I think I may have shared this principle before, maybe, maybe not, but it's, a, it's an important thing, though, that, that we can help and to understand is this, is that God actually values fruitfulness over faithfulness. See, many times people can fall into the thought, well, if I just come to church, 
if I just do these certain things, if I'm just faithful, God is pleased with me. But that's not what the Bible says. I mean, you know, we, we hear some scriptures, but that, I mean, you know, well done, good and faithful servant. I'm all about faithfulness. But to be fruitful, you have to be faithful. But you can be faithful and not fruitful. You can be so faithful that you're not fruitful. Right? No, God is about us bearing fruit, and it's important. And so we stay fruitful by staying connected to Jesus every day. He's the source of our life. It doesn't mean that we're like monks and that we're going to live these weird lives and we're going to lock ourselves away and never get outside and, and do weird th- That's not what it's talking about. Many times it's just taking a moment to acknowledge today, right now, Jesus, I need you. Right now. Jesus said that we are to daily take up our cross and follow him. Daily, 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 daily. Life becomes daily and, and you know, just things happen, things creep in, and next thing we know, it's like, man, I hadn't read my Bible all week. I hadn't prayed all week. Well, guess what? You've actually pulled away from the source of your life. You're doing a lot of effort trying to be godly when God wants you to tap into the power that would, what, actually make you godly. Paul said it this way, is that you have a form of godliness, but you deny the very power that would make you godly. So we don't have to force this thing to happen when we stay connected, but it's a vital connection Luke chapter 9, verse 23 through 25, it says, Then the crowd, uh, or then he said to the crowd, If anyone wants to be my follower, if you want to be my disciple, see, we tell people, Oh, just get saved. Just ask Jesus to be your Lord, and you're good. But yet, Jesus kind of has some different qualifications here. He says, If you want to be my follower, which even that word follower means what? You got to stop what you're doing and turn around and follow, right? I mean, some change has to happen. He says, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. He says, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. Why? Because the life that we actually were born with isn't actually life. It's actually death. We call it life, but it's really not. It's the sin nature. and that it, The Bible says it wars against our souls says, but if you give up that life, that pursuit of that life, for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but, you lose, but, you, but are yourself lost or destroyed? What good is it if we gain everything? Like, oh, man, I got to work. And look, I believe in working. I mean, I believe in working hard. I believe in work ethic. Maybe a little too much sometimes. My wife has to tell me, hey, stop, slow down. <laughs> like, I don't, like, that doesn't compute for me. I believe in working hard, but not at the expense of my heart. I, I, and so there is a truth there, though, is that we can pursue stuff in the name of, well, I'm just being faithful. Yeah, but are you being fruitful? Are you really being, are you producing the fruit that God wants in your life? Here where Jesus says, to follow me. That, that it really means, and this is really an accurate, what, what that, when you study that, what it actually means. It says, to follow Jesus is more than just dethroning of our lives. Let me say it this way. It's more than just dethroning our desires, 
what we want, how we want it, when we want it. It's about enthroning, which is what? Making the priority of Christ. It's saying, I'm stepping off the throne of my life. I'm going to step down, and I'm going to put Jesus there. Jesus, you're the director. You're the one who leads me and guides me. You're the one who, who directs my every step. And I'm not in charge. You're the boss. You know, I have a nephew who, who would say that to my sister, and I thought it was funny at the time. I'm, I'm dreading the day that my kid says it to me. But he would say, you're not the boss of me. You know, he would say that, and, you know, my sister would get those mom eyes, you know what I'm talking about? I mean, did your mom not have those mom eyes? Like, my mom had those mom eyes. It's like she didn't have to say nothing. She just whoosh, cut her eyes, and it's like, uh-oh. And, uh, you know, but yet here it says that we are to what? Make the priority of Christ. We are to make sure that he's on the throne. He's, he is in charge. I'm here as a servant to serve him. Why? Because he's the Bible says that he has bought me with his blood, that I am no longer my own, but I have been bought with the preciousness of the blood of Christ. So I'm not my own anymore. When I surrendered to him, I surrendered. But that's a continual surrendering. It's not just a one-time deal. See, one of the secrets of this and to really experiencing this life is this, is that success won't come just in one day. The success and the strength of your Christian life will not come in a day, but it will come daily. You're not going to read your Bible one day and everything change. But you put the daily discipline of depositing God's Word into your life, and then when you're faced with a circumstance in life, the Word of God will rise up in you, right? That's the job of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that He will bring back to our remembrance. He won't tell us something that we don't put there. We hadn't deposited you don't go to the bank and say, hey, I need to make a withdrawal. I need $5,000. And they're like, you have $5. Like, oh, well, I still need to withdraw $5,000. They're like, yeah, but you got five bucks in the bank. See, that's what happens with God's word. When we put God's word into us, when we don't need it, it will be there when we do need it. That's the important part. And so it's the, you could say it this way, it's the discipline most successful people have unbelievable discipline. You go look at anybody who's exceptional at what they do. It doesn't matter their field. They wake up earlier than everybody. They work harder. They, a lot of times they're studying. Long. It's not just that they're smarter. It's not that they're just technically gifted athletes that are exceptional, have unbelievable work ethic. Unbelievable. It's like, no wonder you're pretty good. I heard a, a story one time, I won't go into all the details, but it was a basketball player who was considered one of the best in the world at the time. And he said, I shoot 1,000 free throws before 5 a.m. Oh, no wonder you don't miss. Because why? It's daily, daily, daily. Success doesn't come in a day, but it does come daily. It's the consistency of connecting with God. And it doesn't mean that it has to take forever. Just designate some time. I, somebody said it this way one time was, set an appointment with God and keep it. Just set an appointment with God and keep it. Now, it doesn't matter if you're a morning person or a night person. I was set free when I found, I was reading a book by a man who was very, very respected minister. And he said his quiet time was at night. And I was like, thank you, Jesus. Because I'm not a morning person. I mean, I can read the Bible in the morning. I'm probably not going to remember it, but I can read it. 
My dad used to tell me when I was young, he'd say, nothing good's happening at 2 a.m. And I'd say, nothing good's happening at 5 a.m. either because he'd get up at 5, you know. I'm like, ain't nothing good happening at 5 o'clock in the morning. So don't get into bondage like, man, I didn't do my devotional. I didn't get up early. I mean, I didn't do all at. So make your appointment. Before I lay my head to sleep, I'm going to get into God's Word today. Why? Because it's the daily. And if you're more awake like me at 10 to 1 at night, that's your time. That's prime time to get into God's Word. And if that's where you are, that's where you are. There's nothing wrong with it. God made you the way you are. He gets it, right? It's the consistency that makes all the difference. Now, one of the traps that I see that we can fall into that I think really, and, and this probably more is maybe my experience growing up in the way that, especially early on living for the Lord, is I would hop from one church service to the next church service to the next church service. Why? I was like just jumping from spiritual high to spiritual high to spiritual high to spiritual high, and I had no daily discipline in my life when it came to connecting with God on a regular basis. And we can fall into that trap like, oh, man, I just got to get back to service. Man, it was amazing and, and all these things. And yet we're robbing ourselves of actually experiencing that daily. Now, I, I love good church services. Don't get me wrong. I love them. I love to come in and worship with the body. I love to experience the presence of God. But experiencing his presence is not to do away with the daily experience of being with him. It's just not there. So we want to walk consistently with the Lord. And here's the kicker as well, regardless of our circumstances. Because, see, it's easy when we're on the mountaintop, when we're up top and everything's going our way and all the chips are falling, you know, everything's happening. And it's just awesome. We love those moments. It's like, oh, man, God is amazing. Like, he is so awesome. Like, life could not be better. Like, I pray God's just making stuff happen for me. It's amazing. God is so good. We're, you know, one of those Christians that everybody kind of sometimes gets annoyed with sometimes a little bit. You're like, shut your mouth. You got all these things going on. We, we go around and we start quoting Bible verses. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Well, that's easy to say when everything's going the way you want it to. Right? That's easy to say, oh, look at the goodness of God in my life. Isn't he good? Isn't he amazing? But here's something I want you to, to hear. If you hear nothing else, listen to this one statement. The same God of the mountaintop is also the same God of the valley. And he is no more with you on top of the mountaintop at your best moment than you are at your lowest point. He's there all the time. He is the same God of, the, of that mountaintop moment where everything is going just right. And man, you're full of scripture, you're quoting, you're like, oh, God's awesome. As you are in the valley and you're going, God, where are you at and why have you forsaken me? Where are you? He's the same God. And he's there just as much in that moment. Psalms 23, David actually in just four verses kind of shows us this in a nutshell. I'm going to read this out of the passage translation. Because David goes from mountaintop to valley really quick. Four verses. Like, I mean, two minutes. You know, David's like, so don't feel bad if you feel like your life's like a roller coaster. So was David's. <laughs> you know, one moment he's killing Goliath. The next one he's running for his life because his father-in-law's trying to 
Stabbed him with a spear. It's, it's crazy. Psalms 23, verse 1 says, The Lord is my best friend and my shepherd. I always have more than enough. Doesn't that just sound awesome? David's like, oh, the Lord's my best friend. I just, man, I got everything I need. He offers me a resting place for me in luxurious love. Doesn't that just sound nice? It's luxurious. Cue the angels and the music and, you know, I mean, just all of those things. He continues. He says, he tracks me to an oasis of peace. Like tranquility forevermore. It's just, oh, things are lovely. A quiet brook of bliss. That's where he restores and revives my life. That's a powerful verse in and of itself. When I get away with God, there, there, not where I want, where he is. In that place, when I get away with him, there, he restores my life. He goes on, it says, he opens before me the pathways to God's pleasures and leads me along uh, the footsteps of righteousness so that I can bring honor to his name. It says, even when your path takes me through. So all of a sudden, David goes, and everything's changing right here because he's coming down the mountain really quick, like steamrolling down the mountain. He says, Lord, even when your path takes me through the valley of deepest darkness. I love this so powerful. Fear will never conquer me, for you already have. Why? If, we're, if we are conquered by God, if we really make this life that we're pursuing the aim, guess what? Fear can't overcome you. Why? Because you've already been overcome by the resurrection life that Christ offers. doesn't mean that fear won't try to come. Oh, it will. There's no doubt. It says, even, though, or even when I go through the darkest my worst day. He says, fear is never going to overcome me because I've been, you've already over, already have overcome me. And he says this, in the valley, you remain close to me and you lead me through it. You lead me through it. God doesn't abandon us in the valley. No, he's still leading. He's still leading. You know, there's that famous plaque and if you had a grandmother like mine, she probably had it called Footprints. In the sand. And it says, God, man, I, you know, there's two foot, sets of footprints and they're walking through the sand. And when everything was good in my life, I see two steps or, you know, two sets. And then all of a sudden, like in my worst times, there's one set. Why, where did you go? Why did you abandon me? Like, that's when I needed you the most. Are you like a fair weather God? Like, you, you're there when things are good? And he says, no, that's the moments I was actually carrying you. Because you had given out. Such a powerful truth. So the Lord leads us even through those valleys. He says, your, your authority is my strength and my peace. The comfort of your love takes away my fear. So he didn't say he didn't deal with it. He just knew how to deal with it. And he says, I'll never be lonely for you are near. See, what happens is, is that when life comes, is that somehow we can fall into the trap of thinking that God has abandoned us. And the reality, the truth is this, is that our awareness of God, our awareness of His life may change. But the reality is that He's always there. He never changes. He never moves away. He's always there. Now, our awareness of it can. Sometimes, yeah, we sense God's presence. And then sometimes we just have to believe by faith that, God, you've not abandoned me. 
You're still here with me. Regardless of what I see, regardless of what I feel, regardless of what I think, I choose by faith, according to, based on the word of God, that you will never leave me. You will never forsake me. You will never abandon me. You will always be right by my side. And sometimes that's an act of faith because every, your feelings will tell you something different. You know, your feelings will betray you if you let them. That's why we have faith. We're not moved by feelings or emotions. We're moved by our faith. Now, this week, I'm going to give a little shout-out to Wendy. She posted something this week, and I'm like, man, that's so good. And I'm like, that's what I'm preaching this weekend. Wendy, dead gummit. But I just thought, you know what? I'm just going to put it right into my message. Thank you, Wendy, right? If you don't know, Sean and Wendy are youth pastors. They're, they do a phenomenal job with our students. And so, you know, I want to honor them for a moment. And... Uh, you know, but, but they were sharing. So I'll say this. I'll put a little plug in. If your kids aren't involved in our student ministry, you are robbing them of a great blessing. So they need to be in student ministry. You're like, well, when do they do so? Wednesday night. Well, that's inconvenient. You make them do stuff they don't want to do all the time, don't you? I mean, your kids just clean their room and do their chores? No, you have to what? Make them, right? If church is a priority, church is a priority. That includes getting your kids in with you. So anyhow, so... The, Wendy made this post this week, and so I'm going to share some of it with you. It's so good. It says that God is always there if we take time to stay connected to him. We don't have to cry out or whine for revival. Mm. I love God moving. The problem is revival can be mountaintop to mountaintop. We're just jumping, we're just jumping, we're just, as opposed to actually getting some steadiness in our life. She says, all we got to do is focus on him every day and everything. I mean, everything will fall into place. Waiting on God, question mark? No, he's waiting on us. This is why I sometimes miss youth ministry, although I just pastor the way I've youth pastored, so I don't really care. But he says, or she wrote, I don't make a lot of apologies for things, but she wrote and she said, stop playing church and get to know him. Then refreshing will come and clarity and peace and a million other blessings. We choose to sacrifice when we neglect time with him. I love that. A million other blessings we choose to sacrifice because we neglect our time with him. And she put this in quotations at the end. God has been speaking this to me personally but I want it so bad for the church too. See, there's that life I'm talking about. It's that, because, I mean, even, I mean, I, I would consider myself as someone who has studied revival because I love to see the move of God. I love to see God move in powerful ways. But if we're not careful, we will just become pursuers of the next thing that God's doing, the next thing and the next thing and the next thing that we actually rob ourselves of that consistent relationship with God. Because this is what I have found. Now, I might ruffle some feathers with this statement, that when I stay con consistently connected to God, I don't need that revival moment. Because I need revival because the word revival actually means to bring back to the, from the dead, to breathe new life in. And yet when I can stay connected to God, now it doesn't mean that I don't have moments. Because look, I have moments. We all have moments where it's like, man, I, God, I need you to move. I need to be revived. Well, that's good. Go read Acts 3.19. Repent and be revived, right? I mean, that's the formula. 
So I don't say that as a condemnation thing. Just don't keep going that way. Change your direction and let God revive you. See, the power of our Christian life is found in our daily dependence upon Him. It's our daily dependence upon Him that makes the difference in our life. See, every day, Jesus, I need Him. Every day. Every day, Jesus, I need Him. And even beyond that, every day, Jesus, I want Him. I don't just need Him, I want Him in my life. There's a big difference in that. See, it's the heart desire of a, for a deep, real, meaningful connection to God. And that happens because of what Christ did for us. That's where we experience that life. And here's, here's a truth. And I'm wrapping up with this. This is kind of my last point here. My last main thought for you. And I shared this last week, and I'm going to share it again because it's powerful. When we understand it, and this is something that the Lord's been teaching me. You know, actually, it was actually the first of the year. Uh, I've been fasting and doing the 21 days of prayer for a number of years now. And it's been a huge blessing in my life, but I never could really put it into real, just a real easy statement as to why it was so beneficial in my life. I knew it was beneficial, but I just didn't really know how to, to explain it. And this year, the Lord dropped something in my heart, and it was kind of towards maybe week two, into week two or so, and I finally got it is that when I was fasting, and when I do fast, what it actually does is it brings me to the end of myself. That's why it's so important that we do that. That's why it's so important that we take focused time to spend focusing on the Lord, because it brings us to the end of ourself. Because I get to a place where I want a Dr. Pepper, like really bad, like ashamedly bad. It's like, dear Jesus. Can you just like rain down some like spiritual Dr. Pepper, like manna from heaven, like just something, please. And then you get to a place where it's like, man, I haven't eaten in a couple days. and Holy cow, I'm hungry. Like I would eat tree bark. Like, you know, and I, you know, and so I, do, you know, do those things that the Lord had instructed me to do. And, and, and I just get to the end of myself and I'm like, God, I am done. Like, give me a Snickers and a Dr. Pepper. Because I am not me right now, to borrow their slogan. You know what I'm saying? But the reality is, of that, is that it's a powerful place when we come to the end of ourself. It's a powerful place. It's a powerful place. It's a powerful, powerful, powerful place when we come to the end of ourself. Because it's in that moment and only in that moment that we find that God is waiting there. God is waiting at the end of us. But I believe what we find when we get there is that he's actually all we really wanted all along. Like, well, I don't know if I believe that. Go read in Luke chapter 4. It says Jesus fasted for 40 days. And at the end of those 40 days, it says that the devil came and tempted him three specific times that, that we see in Scripture. There may have been more, we don't know. But, but it says that after the third one, that the enemy realized, I'm not getting any ground here. And he says that he left him for a more opportune time. It didn't say that he never came back to tempt Jesus. He just said that he wasn't going to win in that day. And the Scripture says that at, when the enemy left, that angels came and restored and refreshed Jesus. That actually was the moment that 
Jesus left that place and began to do his earthly ministry. He was actually empowered when what? At the end of 40 days, Jesus had come to the end of himself. Now, he knew the Bible. I mean, at 12 years, he's 30 at this point. At 12, he's astonishing people with the questions about the Bible and the statements that he would make. So he knew Scripture. What he hadn't known, I believe, until this moment was the power of God. That's why he never did a miracle before. It's like Jesus leaves the wilderness, he goes and gets baptized. All of a sudden, he's doing miracles left and right all over the place. Like, man, how come we read the Bible and we hear stories about, you know, like you go to, you, you hear stories of these other countries and all these amazing miracles are happening. Well, what about America? How come we don't see that here? People ask me that all the time. I get the question a lot. How come we don't see miracles? How come we, it's pretty simple because we're distracted. There's a lot of priorities. And I've been in a lot of other countries and all they care about all they care about is connecting with God because they have nothing else and they don't really want anything else. They don't know any different. Unfortunately, we are so bombarded with just stuff, just these desires, things like I didn't even know I wanted it, but I do now. Didn't even know I needed it, but apparently I do. I didn't know I needed an Instapot. What is an Instapot anyway? I mean, you know, didn't even know I needed that, but apparently I do. Right? I mean, I guess I got to get one of those. And man, it's just, we're just all the time. Why do we see the power of God in other places? It's not because God's abandoned America. The problem is we've created an environment where we don't need him. Until you get a diagnosis that there is no cure for. Until everything's falling apart and there is no answer. There is no counseling. And then we run to God and be like, oh God, you're everything. And I, I, I'm not belittling that. But what I am telling you is that when you get that diagnosis that there is no cure for, if you'll walk with Jesus, I know the one whose name is above all other names. I know the one who took stripes upon his back so that I could be made whole, that I could be made well. That when depression and oppression come. Nope. Jesus came that what? I could live in freedom and victory. He is one for me. I don't have to just fall off the wagon. No, no. I I know my source. My source is him and he's the source of my life. He's the source of my strength. But many times for us, man, and, and I say for us because I include myself, we're not actually to the end of ourself. And that's robbing us of the power of God in our life. But when we as individuals can really press through all this, all of that and just get to where it's like, Jesus, you're all I need. You're all I want. There's a story about this in the earlier ministry of Jesus. It's a story about Mary and Martha. Martha's in the kitchen. Man, she's cooking because she got Jesus coming. I mean, Jesus is at the house. I got to have some food. It's got to be good. And can you imagine the pressure? Like the Messiah's in your living room, you're like, oh my gosh, I gotta cook. What do I have? Martha's there and she is just stressed out. I didn't think all these people were coming because anytime Jesus showed up, a crowd showed up. Like I cooked for four and we got 40. That would be a small number. And she's so worried about it. She's like, where's my sister at? 
Mary, get in here. Mary. She's probably like going to the door and like looking at her like, get in here. You know what I'm talking about? You ever done that with a sibling? What are you doing? Give them the crazy eyes. Come on. And finally, Martha gets so frustrated. Now, I'm going to animate this a little bit for you. But I believe this is probably what it was like. Martha did not walk in there and go like, Jesus, Jesus, tell Mary to come to the kitchen. No, I think, Mary, I, I think Martha made a scene. You know what I'm saying? Because she wasn't like mildly troubled in this moment. She's ticked off. She probably walked in there and said, Jesus, tell Mary to get her rear end in here and help me in the kitchen. I'm trying to cook. I think it probably went down. And Jesus makes this crazy statement. Because she's ticked off and, you know, you don't want to mess with an angry woman. I mean, there's a reason we have the saying, like, hell hath no fury. Like, she's ticked off, right? And yet Jesus looks at Martha, frazzled, probably got flour in her hair. She's probably a mess. She got, you know, probably got stuff on her hands and cooking and preparing. And Jesus looks at her and says, Martha, Martha, you're so worried. You're so busy. You're so stressed. But Mary has chosen the right thing. She's chosen to come and to be with me. I'm not going to send her to the kitchen. She's chosen the more valuable thing. Like Martha, I'm the God of heaven and earth. If I I want lunch, I can have lunch. I mean, that was one of the temptations from Satan. Like, hey, if you're really God, turn that stone into bread. Many could have done it. It wouldn't have been a temptation if he was like, oh, I can't do that one. The fact that he tempted him with it says that he had the ability Martha, you're worried about dinner, and I I can get dinner, Martha. Don't worry about dinner. But Mary's figured out the secret here. And the secret is to come to be at my feet. Why? Because I'm the source of life, not that food that you're trying to prepare. But it's that daily connection with God that makes all the difference. But unfortunately for us, because we're all human, right? We all have this that we deal with we got to come to the end of ourself. Now, here's the good news. You don't have to come to tragedy to get to the end of yourself. You can choose to come to the end of yourself. That is definitely preferable. But sometimes we choose to do it the hard way. It's not God's way. It's the hard way. God's already made the way for us. But we have to surrender. We just have to say, okay, I'm not my own. Jesus, I accept you. this morning you may be here and you may be like Martha today you may not look like it but you feel like your hair is all like you got all this kind of stuff and you're just like man you have no idea what it took for me to get to church today I'm glad you came I really am because I think the answer to your problem is actually here right now you don't have to look any further it's right here right now that doesn't matter if 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 you're a Christian or you're not a no the answer is here right now it's available for you and what you have to do is just say 
Okay, God, I'm just going to, I'm at the end of myself, right, right here, right now. That's why it's, surrender is such a powerful thing. When you surrender to the Lord, man, it's powerful. 